Thanks for watching NTD Business. Coming up, a wake-up call about kids' education in America with scores plummeting across the nation during the pandemic. We take a look at the United States' first report card since 2019. And the United Kingdom has a new prime minister. We explore his ties to China and how the Chinese Communist Party may try to influence him. And Chinese stocks tanking after Xi Jinping gets a third term as head of the Chinese Communist Party. An analyst tells us the Chinese economy is going down the drain. We have that and much more coming up on NTD Business. It's great to have you with us. Paul Graney here. The CEO of Kraft Heinz says the food industry will be hit with even higher inflation and more supply chain issues. Company is already facing challenges due to shortages of raw materials, challenges the company's CEO believes will continue into 2023. Here he is. We've already increased the prices that we were expecting this year, but I, I'm predicting that next year, you know, inflation will continue. And as a consequence, we'll have other rounds of, of price increases. During the second quarter of this year, Kraft Heinz already raised its prices by nearly 12.5%. It'll now report its third quarter earnings on Wednesday. And Americans may want to start saving up for a rainy day or maybe a rainy few months. According to the latest survey from the National Association for Business Economics, more than half of corporate economists polled say a recession is coming sometime before the end of 2023. 11% say the U.S. is already experiencing a recession. The findings, which show the economy is slowing as risks are growing, are based on responses from 55 members of the NABE. Among the biggest concerns, higher interest rates and historically high inflation. And historic setbacks in academic progress for school kids during the pandemic. The so-called Nations Report card shows a record high decrease in math and reading improvement. Here's more details. The National Assessment of Educational Progress, known as the Nation's Report Card, tested hundreds of thousands of fourth and eighth graders across the United States this year. It was the first time the test had been given since 2019. It's seen as the first nationally representative study of the pandemic's impact on learning. It found that across the country, math scores saw their largest decreases ever in the history of the test, which began in the 60s. Nearly 4 in 10 8th graders failed to grasp basic math concepts. Reading scores dropped to 1992 levels, and not a single state saw a notable improvement in their average test scores. Jonathan Butcher is the Will Skillman Fellow of Education at the Heritage Foundation. He says prolonged school closures significantly affected this historic decline and that it could have been prevented. It's not just that students were away from the traditional schooling formula that they'd had for many years. It's that some districts and in particular teacher unions and special interest groups kept teachers and students from going back to in-person learning when science and families and even district officials had decided that it was safe to do so. He says that on the other hand, Catholic schools saw either no decline or only a slight decline in eighth grade math, scoring much better than the average. Catholic schools, about 90% of them, were open during the pandemic. 
private schools were the first to go back to in-person learning. So by doing so, they basically saved, in some cases, students a year's worth of learning. U.S. Secretary of Education Miguel Cardona says schools have to make sure they're using the billions of dollars they received in funding from the COVID relief package passed in 2021, which Butcher agrees with. I mean, we're talking $200 billion was given to districts during the uh, the COVID years in relief money to have about $140, $150 billion as of last spring that was unused. We certainly should be asking, wait a minute, if it was so essential for districts to have that money to prevent these results that we just saw, why didn't they use it? Secretary Cardona says this is a serious wake-up call to strengthen education efforts. Reporting by Arian Pastar, NTD News. Bad news, but the good news is U.S. stocks rallied today. The Dow added 417 points, one and three tenths of a percent. S&P 500 rose 45 points, one and two tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq gained 93 points, but nine tenths of a percent today. And Rishi Sunak is the United Kingdom's next prime minister. He's now leader of the world's sixth largest economy. Here's a bit of his first address as prime minister designate. It lasted all of one minute. I'd like to pay tribute to Liz Truss for her dedicated public service to the country. She has led with dignity and grace through a time of great change and under exceptionally difficult circumstances, both at home and abroad. And I will make it my utmost priority to bring our party and our country together, because that is the only way we will overcome the challenges we face and build a better, more prosperous future for our children and our grandchildren. I pledge that I will serve you with integrity and humility, and I will work day in, day out to deliver for the British people. The markets reacted positively to Sunak's ascension. Bond yields falling immediately. Investors perhaps trust Sunak, who does have many credentials in finance. He was formerly Britain's finance minister, and he worked at Goldman Sachs, as well as two hedge funds. But there are signs that prompt caution and concern. In particular, Sunak's family runs a firm that has ties to China. Sunak's father, father-in-law is the founder of Infosys. It's a massive international technology and consulting firm. It's market cap of over $70 billion. Infosys is a major presence in China. The CCP, Chinese Communist Party, even officially listed Infosys as one of the top 10 global service providers in China. But Sunak himself has made strong anti-Chinese Communist Party remarks. Three months ago, he said that, quote, China and the Chinese Communist Party represent the largest threat to Britain and the world's security and prosperity. He also said he would face down China. He even gave details on how. He said it helped businesses protect their international prop- intellectual property and that he'd build a new international alliance of nations to defend against Chinese cyber attacks. Sunak also promised that he would close all of the UK's Confucius Institutes, 30 in total. Confucius Institutes are Chinese education programs created by the Chinese Communist Party. In fact, former CCP official called them a quote, important part of China's overseas propaganda setup. Sunak referred to them as a form of China's soft power. 
But despite Sunak's tough words, his stance has been only very, very recent. Before this, he was very soft on China, even to the point the CCP endorsed him during his running for prime minister back in July. CCP said that while most politicians took a hard stance on China, Sunak was pragmatic. And while UK politicians are generally hostile to China, Sunak previously said he's pursuing a complete sea change in relations. He wanted the two countries to strengthen their trading relationship and took concrete actions to do so. And all this, despite China's threats to take over Taiwan, its repression of Hong Kong, its open intellectual property theft, and the genocide of Uyghur Muslims in Xinjiang. The chairman of the Committee on the Present Danger, China, Frank Gaffney, is concerned about the CCP's potential influence over Sunak, as despite Sunak's recent U-turn in rhetoric. One sees these kinds of um, conversions in politicians frequently when they find it inexpedient to be holding views or taking policy positions or advocating courses of action that uh, were their true, you know, disposition and, and proclivities uh, until some elective office beckoned and then they suddenly abandoned all of that and would have you believe that they are very differently minded. Gaffney said it's not just Sunak's relationship with China, it's also his relationship with the World Economic Forum, or WEF. The WEF is a global organization of corporations and wealthy people. It says it's leading an effort to change the world with priorities on equity, climate change, and ESG principles. But some say the WEF is promoting international socialism. It's associated with ideas like abolishing private property and creating a form of central world government. One of his members wrote an article titled, Welcome to 2030, I Own Nothing and Have No Privacy, and Life Has Never Been Better, What Do You Think? It's unclear whether Rishi Sunak is a member, but he does have his own page on its website. Meanwhile, Sunak's family business, Infosys, is an official partner of the World Economic Forum. The WEF has openly praised Infosys, calling it a, quote, global leader in next-generation digital services. Company CEO has written articles for the forum. The topics include his support for central bank digital currencies, as well as unique digital identities from which people can conduct financial transactions. He's even praised the Chinese Communist Party many times. We'll continue to follow Mr. Sunak closely and update you on everything that happens. And turning to China, U.S.-listed Chinese stocks tumbled after CCP head Xi Jinping secured a third term as leader of the communist regime. Major Chinese stocks like Alibaba and Tencent saw double-digit declines today. Hong Kong's Hang Seng Index had the biggest one-day decline since the global financial crisis. Foreign investors pulling some $2 billion out of China's domestic market. Investors were perhaps taken aback by the surprising consolidation of power under Xi. The new Politburo Standing Committee is made up entirely of Xi allies now. The Politburo Standing Committee is the most powerful decision-making body in the Chinese Communist Party. Now there's essentially no opposing voices to Xi in the Politburo. Chief Investment Strategist at CFRA Research New York said that investors are worried 
about what could happen to the economy now with fewer and fewer checks on the power that Xi Jinping has. And here to talk about the market's reaction to Xi Jinping getting a third term is Brian McCarthy. He's the chief strategist at MacroLens. Brian, thanks for joining us. So Xi Jinping just got a third term. And what's interesting is the market's reaction to that. Today, the Hang Seng Index uh, saw the biggest single-day decline since the global financial crisis. U.S.-listed shares of Chinese stocks like Alibaba, Tencent also tumbled. Why do you think this is happening? Um, I, to be honest, I'm, I'm very surprised that people were so very surprised at the outcome of the Party Congress. And I think the signal, again, it's been clear, but the market was just hit in the face with it, with the, uh, you know, what we saw over the weekend. We might also mention the Hu Jintao, the previous uh, president of China, getting basically removed from the proceedings for reasons we know not why. But that was, that, the symbolism there of out with the old, in with the new was pretty stark. Um, so I think I think the problem there, there are two problems. The market now realizes that Xi Jinping is not as worried about the property market and the economic slowdown as market practitioners would like to see him be worried because he doesn't really care. He doesn't really care is my contention. He has bigger fish to fry with this technological war with the U.S. Uh, he's involved in a proxy war with the West via his support for Russia and Ukraine. There's this big global effort where uh, both, you know, polls effectively want to make sure they have adequate control of resources should a, a, start, or a more stark decoupling unfold. And he really can't be bothered with whether the property market comes back in six months or not. And, and I think the message that is now abundantly clear is if people don't like that, tough tiddlywinks. He doesn't care. And, and I don't really know where this kind of optimism continues to come from, that China is, you know, has not abandoned the course of economic and market reform, because it's been obvious for months and months and months, if not longer, that, uh, that Xi Jinping was no longer on that course. So I, I guess the market reaction is simply a, uh, perhaps the finality of it, that now we have all now been hit in the face with this reality that's been right there for everyone to see for quite some time. Where, where do you see the Chinese economy going? The same place I, I saw it going before this weekend and the same place I discussed with you on many occasions I see it going, down the tubes. <laughs> I mean, there is, there, there's, no, there's no plan B. So there's no, there's no reform. I mean, if you want to talk broadly, Xi Jinping's plan B is to you know, develop homegrown technologies and become self-reliant. This is, this is a pipe dream on anything other than probably a multi-decade time frame. So, so in the in, in the time frame that is relevant to investors and your viewers, the Chinese economy is going down the tubes. If they don't do credit stimulus, there is again there is no Plan B. There is no reform. There is no moving to a more consumption-based economy because all that involves marketizing, and and that is not the direction in which they are going. So again, I think the the the, the thing that uh, market practitioners and your viewers have to contend with is. The, the possibility that Xi Jinping doesn't care. And, and, and I think this is, this is one thing that people have really missed, that, oh, if they don't grow 5%, you know, he's going to lose his support. No. If you don't like the fact that growth is going to be zero, he doesn't need your support. He's got his guys. He is the emperor of China or, you know, whatever, the supreme being. That's done. He doesn't need you to be happy about the rate of economic growth. And, and I think that's the message to the market. It's the message to the Chinese populace. And it is... It, it is a very dour message, but again, I don't think anybody should be really surprised because this has been the political direction of travel 
for several years now. Do you think a poor economy is what does it end for the CCP in the end? No, because look at the, you know, look again, look at North Korea, right? Um, I, I'm not I'm not a buyer of this theory that people are going to be disappointed with economic growth and that's going to somehow undercut Xi Jinping's power. And, 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 and I, again, I think I said this on your show many months ago. It was clear. The reason I was not at all surprised that she has taken complete control this weekend was because of how he handled the property crisis. He didn't blink. He didn't resort to stimulus. He didn't seem to care. He decided houses are for living and not speculation. I'm done with this speculation. And they put a stop to it, despite pretty severe ramifications for economic growth, some of which have yet to be seen. Like, this is going to be bad. But he was acting like someone who had no uh, no doubts about his political power. And now we see that apparently there's no reason he should have any doubts about his political power. So if growth is zero, people will, will, will be disappointed, they'll be upset, and his response will be tough tiddlywinks. Very interesting. All right, Brian McCarthy, Chief, Chief Strategist, MacroLens, thank you very much. Thanks, Tom. And signs things are slowing in China. Tesla is cutting starting prices for the Model Y and Model 3 vehicles by up to 9% there. The Tesla's first cuts in China this year in the news was not welcomed by Tesla investors, with shares falling nearly 4% in pre-market trading in the States. Last week, Tesla CEO Elon Musk said there was a recession of sorts already underway in China, but he expects Tesla to be recession-resilient. Tesla's shares, though, closed down 1.5% for the day. And a Chinese company is reportedly making surveillance cameras that can detect Uyghurs and Tibetans to oppress groups in China. Anthony Shaw Marshall has more details. Chinese CCTV, or closed-circuit television, has taken racial profiling to a new level. Four types of surveillance cameras have the capability to identify race, skin color, Uyghur and Tibetan faces. According to a U.S. video surveillance research organization, Internet Protocol Video Market, or IPVM, reports that these cameras are made by Dahua Technology. See, IPVM says that the surveillance cameras can identify Uyghurs from within a crowd and issue Uyghur warnings to Chinese police, helping them to arrest Uyghurs quickly. This is the online police model touted by Dahua Technology to enhance the police's prediction, early warning, and prevention capabilities. In China, security cameras are everywhere you could imagine, even in company restrooms. Estimates put the number of security cameras in China somewhere between 500 and 700 million. Recently, Dahua Technology admitted to IPVM that the four-camera product web pages did exist. But they declared that it was deeply troubled and concerned that the camera's appearance on its own website had already launched an investigation. In October 2019, Dahua Technology was placed on the sanction list by the U.S. Department of Commerce. Sean Marshall, NTD News. In company restrooms, wow. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us, business at ntd.com. Still to come this evening. Is New York about to elect a Republican governor? And is it a sign of things to come for Democrats this midterm? We take you to a rally in Queens, New York. We have that and more coming up on NTD Business.
Welcome back. The midterm election is about two weeks away, and early voting turnout numbers are surging. According to data from election officials Edison Research and Catalyst, almost 7.3 million ballots have been cast in 39 states. Florida has the highest number of ballot casts, more than a million. California and Georgia each reporting more than 800,000 votes so far. And in Pennsylvania, more than 500,000 ballots have been cast. And could New York's next governor be a Republican? GOP Congressman Lee Zeldin has closed the gap in New York Governor Kathy Hochul in recent weeks. Some polls even show him ahead. That's despite New York's reputation as a deep blue state. This past Saturday, Zeldin was in Queens, New York, rallying his base. Yours truly was there. Our soon and next governor, Lee Zeldin. With some polls showing the unthinkable that we could have a Republican governor here in New York State, Congressman Lee Zeldin is here in Queens, New York, rallying his base in what will be a tense election two weeks this Tuesday. It's been 20 years since New York last elected a Republican governor, but one recent poll shows that Congressman Lee Zeldin has just inched ahead of the state's current governor, Democrat Kathy Hochul. You know what we need to do on day one is that we are going to declare a crime emergency in New York and we are going to suspend cashless bail and the other pro-criminal laws they passed. Zeldin's tough-on-crime message seems to be what's catapulting him forward. He says declaring a crime emergency would end policies that are making it difficult for cops to enforce the law. Crime in New York, especially in New York City, has been on the rise. We feel unsafe when we're taking the subway. Um, and we like our elected officials to be doing something about it. It's getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah, every day. Because nobody does nothing about it. Hochul doesn't do nothing about it. Two days ago, Governor Kathy Hochul said the state would send more money to New York City for subway policing. She also promised security cameras for subway trains. But Zeldin says too little, too late. His running mate, former cop Allison Esposito, says Democrat policies have tied cops' hands. We have to fund our law enforcement, give them the training, the resources, and the ability, the tools to do the job the way we need it done. Hochul and Zeldin will soon go face-to-face -face in the race's only debate Tuesday evening. Paul Graney, NTD News, New York. An Israeli 3D-printed meat company, Redefined Meat, has revealed a new large-scale meat printer called Angus. The machine can produce different kinds of meats from plant-based ingredients. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. A touchscreen interface allows the selection of a steak from a library of different cuts. Users can also choose the desired tenderness, marbling, and amount of fat. And now I can, and I can start and go and print it and produce it, but I also have a pre-prepared list of jobs that I'm about, I'm tending to do this day. At the company's labs, scientists study the characteristics of animal meat to mimic the experience of eating meat. In the past two years, we have been working deeply on understanding meat and what makes meat so exciting. And we identified a few components that we can recreate from plants and have the same exact uh, performance as the tissue of animal meat. 
Redefined Meat will launch its products at restaurants and butchers in France this month, then in Italy, Greece, and Sweden later this year. Its new meat is currently available in almost 1,000 restaurants in Israel, Britain, the Netherlands, and Germany. Produce today a range of products, much more than just one steak, much more than just uh, one printer. Uh, we have the factory in Israel and the factory in the Netherlands already producing uh, over several tons a day. Plant-based meat products are becoming increasingly popular with consumers worried about animal welfare and the environment. People will probably continue to consume meat, but plant-based meat's impact on the environment could be significant. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. And that's the latest from the NTD business team and myself, Paul Graney. You can follow me on Twitter, though, if you're there. And if you have any news, tips, or feedback for the show, you can always email us at business at ntd.com. That's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.